In case you are a visitor here and you, and you don't know who I am, I am just one of you guys. I'm uh, a lay person in the church. Uh, I have no formal seminary training. These are all the disclaimers in case I say anything that's, uh, that's wrong or offends you. Uh, if I do, you can email me at russell at neartownchurch.org. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke uh, this morning, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. I felt that it was appropriate as we, uh, as we get ready to, as we dedicate our children this morning, to talk about Luke 15 because it's really all about a father's love. And I have a friend that talks about parenting and he says that parenting is a lot like driving down an icy road. You you can never have complete control. You only hope to keep it between the lines. And I found that to be true uh, with my own children. You hope the best for them and you try your best, but ultimately uh, they're going to turn out the way they're going to turn out, right? They're going to make their own mistakes and they're going to learn from those things. And so in Luke chapter 15, uh, if you look down around verse 11, you're going to see a prob- there's probably a subheading in your Bible that says uh, the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal son. Now, if you're new to reading the Bible, those titles and those headings were added later. They were not part of the original uh, text. And so because of their addition, we have this notion that this story is all about the prodigal son. Don't get me wrong. He is an important part of the story. He's an important part of the story, but I believe, and, and the reason I've titled this sermon the way I have is because the, the message is truly about the love of the Father. And so this message today is titled, uh, Prodigal God. Now, some of you are taken back by that, probably because we're not really sure what the word prodigal means. And I wasn't, so I decided to look it up. Dictionary.com defines prodigal as meaning lavishly abundant or recklessly extravagant. Lavishly abundant or recklessly extravagant. Now, I would never uh, be as bold as to uh, accuse God of being reckless, but I also know that in God's abundant love, His love and and some of the things that He does in in the eyes of us humans can seem reckless at times, right? It seems over the top. It seems a little much. But it's all part of God's plan. And so we're going to talk about the parable of the lost son or the parable uh, of the prodigal son, which starts in verse 11 of chapter 15. But we have to do a little homework to get there first. So start with me in verse 1 of Luke chapter 15. It reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, meaning Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So let's talk about who's involved in this story. You have the tax collectors and the sinners. And the tax collectors were not a well-liked member. They were not well-liked members of society. In fact, they were known for assessing more than was owed to the government. And so they would take an excess and then they would take that excess and and put it in their pockets. They were essentially stealing from the people. And so they got a bad reputation, rightfully so. And these sinners that are mentioned here in the passage, those are a plethora of different people. You have prostitutes and you have uh, 
all of these types of folks that the Pharisees are going to lump into this category of sinners. Now, on the other hand, you have the Pharisees that are drawing near to hear Jesus speak. And the Pharisees were the uppity religious type in this society. They were the folks that, uh, that knew all of the do's and don'ts of the religious system. They knew all of the right things to do, and they knew just when someone else was doing all the wrong things. And they, they thought a lot of themselves, they thought they had it down, they thought that they were to be esteemed in the public eye. And so Jesus is bringing in these sinners and tax collectors and eating with them, and the Pharisees are going, this guy claims to be something special. He claims to be the Son of God, and he is eating and spending time and hanging out with these people and not spending time with us. And even when he does spend time with us Pharisees, he has some pretty tough things to say to us. If you look back in Scripture, Jesus, when he is around the Pharisees, he has some really tough things to say to them. And this is going to be one of them. And so as Jesus gets ready to tell these parables, he's going to tell three parables. He's going to tell the parable of the lost sheep. And if you haven't heard that one, that's where the the shepherd has a hundred sheep and one wanders off and everything gets put on hold until he goes out and finds that one lost sheep. And then he's going to tell the parable of the lost coin. And the same thing woman that has some coins and she loses one and she's going to light every lamp in the house and she's going to sweep the floor and she's going to stop everything until she finds this one coin. And so Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the lost son where we're going to drill down today and these parables are meant to allow these tax collectors and sinners to understand that they're valuable, that they are being, are being brought into the fold, that they're loved and cared about. And it's also to soften the hearts of the Pharisees and to help them understand exactly what Jesus is all about. And so, let's pick up in verse 11. It says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. So the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property with reckless living. You know what's so great about this parable is that we all fall into this parable at some point or another in the story. We're all going to relate to someone in the story, whether we realize it at first or not. This young man, the younger son, he has an itch for freedom. He wants to get out on his own and make his own decisions. He wants to be his own boss. And being at home with his father is clipping his wings a bit, right? In uh, our Bible study on Tuesday, uh, my buddy Brett here, he said what he's really after is, a, is a, a lack of accountability. He doesn't want to be accountable to his father there at home. He wonders what it would be like to get out on his own and make his own decisions, be his own boss. What kind of person would he grow into and blossom into if he did that? But things are too rigid at home, and so if he could just get to the far country, things would be better. And we've all felt that way at some point, right? We've all had that itch to get out of the yoke of whatever control or whatever 
uh, authority that's, that's upon us. For most of us, it was around the time that we went off to college. I didn't go off to college in the traditional sense, but I hear the story time and time again of that freshman that goes off to college and eats nothing but junk food and drinks too much and stays out too late and then fails a couple of classes in their first semester off at college. Now, if that's you, if you are the younger, younger son in that story and you've been there, I think that you can attest to the fact that you didn't set out, you didn't set out to make those mistakes as you left. You just wanted to feel that freedom. You wanted to spread your wings and fly a bit. But what happens here to the younger son is that he gets off away from his father and sin creeps in without the accountability that he had there with his father. And it destroys him, really. It devours him. And that's just like sin to do that to us. You know, sin, is like, sin is like that drive through line when you pull through and, and you're looking at the hamburgers on the menu. And, uh, and the hamburger that's on the menu looks amazing. And then when you order it and you get it and you open the bag, it's, it's smushed together and it doesn't look anything like what you ordered. It's like, a, it's like a vacation pamphlet that's all-inclusive, and then when you show up to the vacation, you realize it wasn't exactly all-inclusive. There were a few things that they didn't mention, like how you were going to get from the airport to your hotel, or where you were going to eat that night, and all those types of things. Sin is like that, because the dirty little secret about sin is that it feels good, right? If it didn't feel good, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't be tempted by it. And so... It feels good for a little while, just long enough to distract you and to drain your resources and to leave you dependent and addicted and destitute. That's what sin does to us. That's where this young man finds himself. In a quote that I love from a famous pastor, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he says that at last... The meat is eaten. The bone, the meat is eaten to the bone, and there is nothing good to come out of that bone. It contains no marrow. The teeth are broken with it, and the man wishes that he had never sat down to so terrible a feast. It's very true of sin, a beautiful picture that that paints. And so this young man finds himself there, and we read on in verse 14. It says, When he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Shocker, right? We could have seen that coming. So much for this grand, far country that uh, the younger son wanted to go off to. Things seem so wonderful in the far-off country, and he gets there, and now there's a famine. So he went, moving on. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So just to kind of draw to a close here the story of the younger son, he was not a servant in his father's house, but he was the father's son. He had access to all that the father did and he left that and chose to go to the far country to partake in the things that that he decided he wanted to be a part of. 
Sin crept in, his resources were drained, and he's now basically a slave in a foreign land. Sin has tickled his fancy just long enough to to gently ease those chains around his ankles. And now he is shackled and destitute and dependent upon the resources of the foreign country that now has a famine in it. And then he comes to himself. We move on down in the story. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him. Here's his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So the young man realizes the plight that he's in. He realizes the mistakes that he's made. And he says, look, I've got to go now back to my father. And I've got to explain to him that all of the money that he gave me, I've now wasted it all. And he's going to be mad. And so I'm going to prepare this speech. And so he prepares this speech and he says, okay, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so just don't even treat me like your son. Treat me like a hired servant. That'll be good. I think dad will go for that. And so he arose and he came to his father. I imagine as he's doing this, he has that feeling in his gut that that a young man gets when he's been giving his mom fits all day long. And finally, the mom has had enough. And she says, that's it. I'm telling your father when he gets home. Oh, man, that is a bad feeling right there. You want to ruin an eight-year-old's day? You tell him, wait till dad gets home, right? It's the same way. My, my boys, if they're giving Sarah fits, that's all she's got to say. Wait till dad gets home. Life ruined instantly. And my father, who's here today, when I was a kid, you know, he never, he never raised his voice. I cannot say that for me and my own kids, sadly. But he never raised his voice, but, but he, had this, he had this deep tone. He knows what I'm talking about. He had this deep tone that he used. And when he used that deep tone, I knew that things were serious. And if mom said she was telling dad something I did whenever he got home, that's it. That's a terrible feeling that sticks in your gut this whole time. And so... This younger son has a long walk home. He has a long walk home and he's exhausted and he's hungry and he's filthy and he's walking home. And all the while he's rehearsing this this speech that he's going to give his dad in his head. He's like, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and just treat me as one of your hired servants. And he's and he's rolling that over and over again in his head. And it says in the second part of verse 20, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Let's stop there for a moment because I don't think that it is a coincidence that his father saw him from a long way off. In fact, uh, there's evidence in in the previous parables that Jesus tells that when his son wandered off, life was not going as usual 
The father was looking for his son every day, waiting and praying and hoping that he would come home. And so I can envision the father on the porch looking out over his property and hoping and waiting that he's going to see his son come up over that horizon. And one day he does. It says that while he saw him a long way off and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And so, and so we have this moment where the father sees the son and the son is seeing his dad run towards him now, which is also a significant part of the story because th- these are not times where the dad had just got done training for the, for the 10K coming up and uh, he's wearing his jogging shorts and his tennis shoes. This is the head of the estate, okay? He's in charge of a lot of servants. He's in charge of a lot of land. He's wearing a robe, more than likely. He's not the type of guy that's taking jogs around the block. Nothing wrong with that, Russell. I know Russell's a big, uh, a big runner. Um, but this guy's wearing a robe. He's not prepared for that. And so for him to hike his robe up and take off running across the field towards his son is two things. It's, it's a little humiliating for him, and it's also pretty alarming to his son, right? Because you got to picture yourself in this son's shoes. He's thinking, as his dad is running towards him full speed, if I'm that kid, I'm thinking, he is going to beat the snot out of me. He, he's heard what I've done with his money in the far country. He's heard about the mistakes that I've made and the way that I squandered the wealth that he had accumulated. And he is going to beat the tar out of me. And so as the son is walking towards him and as the father is getting closer he begins to spout off the speech, right? He's like, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to tell dad before he gets here so that maybe he won't come after me in this way. And so the dad is getting close and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And bam, the father hits him and he wraps him up in his arms. And he grabs his face like I do to my kids when I haven't seen him in a while. He grabs their, his face and he looks at him and he kisses him and he holds him and and he cuts his speech off and he turns to his servant. And he says, get the best robe in the ring. It says there in the scripture, it said, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So, if you identify yourself with this younger son, it's not quite the reaction that we expected from the father. The compassion and the grace that he showed, he welcomed him back into the family, not as a, not as a servant, but as a son. He forgave him. Now, if you don't identify yourself with this younger son, we're going to talk about that here in a moment, but maybe you'll have a little bit of luck with the older son. So let's pick up in verse 25, where the older son enters into the picture. It says, now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, 
he heard music and dancing. Let's stop right there. So where was the son? He was in the field, right? He was in the field because he's always in the field. The older son is always in the field because he is a rule follower. He's a hard worker. But not only that, he needs that pat on the back. He's that, he's that guy that is grown and married but has saved every Little League trophy that he's ever won. Right? Because he needs, he needs that edification. And so he was out there doing the right thing, nose to the grindstone, in the field, working for the father. He gets close to the house and he's wondering what all the ruckus is about. And so he turns to the servant and the servant tells him in verse 27, he says, Your brother has come home. Sorry, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Forget about the fact that his brother is not uh, stranded or worse, even dead in the far country, that he's back home now. His older brother is upset about this. And notice the next line of the story there. It says that the father, so the father came out and entreated him. I want you to notice two things. We have two sons in this story, two very different sons, two very different speeches that they're going to give their father, the younger son having already given his, the older son about to give his, but notice that the father goes out to both of them. While the younger son was still a long way off, the father came out to him to meet him. And while the older son is upset about what's going on here, if I'm the father and the servant is telling me that, hey, your older son is out there and he's not really happy with what's going on here, um, I'm like, hey, fine. If he's, if he's mad, fine. Let, tell him to stay out there. More calf for us. You know, lots of calf in here. We're going to eat it all. And you can stay out there. But he doesn't. He goes out to him and he entreats him. And this is the moment that the older son has been waiting for because he is upset that the father has not noticed all of his hard work, that he's not rewarded him for all of his hard work. He thinks he deserves a pat on the back. And so in verse 29, he's going to give it to him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fat calf for him. Well, then. We get a little window into the soul of this guy. He has worked hard and obeyed the father since day one. And his nose has been to the grindstone. He's doing the right thing. And he's like, Dad, look at me. You owe me something here. I'm working hard and doing the right thing. And this son of yours is out in the far country. And I don't know if you know this or not. But yeah, prostitutes. That's what he spent your money on, is prostitutes. See, that wasn't mentioned earlier in the story. It was just reckless living. But Tattletale, older brother here, he says, Hey, Dad, by the way, uh, I've heard a little bit about what's going on out there in the far country. Prostitutes. That's what he spent your money on. Could it be that the older brother knew what was happening in the far country? Could it be that maybe he had friends that had done business in the far country 
and had heard about his brother and he had heard back and, uh, and he was taking note of those things. If he ever comes home, I'm telling dad. I'm telling dad about these prostitutes and this wild living that the younger son has been involved in. You know, I wonder, I wonder, do you think he ever pleaded with his brother to come home? Do you think he ever think he ever sent word to his brother by letter or by one of his friends that was traveling that way and said, hey man, if you see my brother, just ask him, man, what are you doing out there? What are you doing? Come home. There's no, there's no kind of life out there. I don't think so. I think he was more worried about looking good in the eyes of his father and so he's just perpetually working towards this reward that he believes he can attain. He's just like the Pharisees, right? This guy is the reason that Jesus is telling the parable. Because the Pharisees were grumbling, and Jesus, knowing their hearts and hearing their grumbling, tells this parable in hopes that the Pharisees are going to notice that, hey, they're this guy in the story, right? The father goes on to tell him in verse 31. He says, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see, we have two very different sons, two very different speeches, two very different lives that they're leading, but the Father goes out to both of them, and they are both just as far away from the Father. Even though the older son has been living in the house, he doesn't realize that the fattened calf has been his this whole time. That everything that the Father owns, he already owns because he's part of the family. He's part of the Father's household. But rather than enjoying that fact... He has been trying to work towards attaining something that's already his. Now, you may fall into that category. You may identify with that person in the story. But I'm going to tell you something. We are all like the younger son who wandered off to the far country. And so if you think that you've lived this life that's okay and that you are, um, by social standards, a really good person... Uh, Let me explain to you that in in Isaiah chapter 53, in the Bible, it says that we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way, but God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everyone here has been far from God at some point in their life because our very first breath was full of sin. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's somewhere around verse 8, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we all have been away from God at some point, but while we were still far away, God saw us in the distance, far away from Him, dead in in our sins and transgressions, and He did something that was lavishly, almost reckless in our eyes, and He sent His only Son to die on a cross and poured 
an ocean's worth of wrath onto his head, sacrificing him on the cross so that we could be accepted back into the family. So two things there, recognize the sacrifice, recognize the cost of bringing us back into the fold. And number two, accept it and be thankful for it. If you're the older son in the story, just stop trying to earn something that you already have, right? Stop working towards something that's already been given to you. So you say, you throw your hands up and you say, Matt, why? Why do we do anything good then? Why why are we striving to be good people and do the right thing? And I would tell you that, that we don't do good works to earn our salvation. We do good works because we've been given a salvation that we could never earn, right? We appreciate the sacrifice of God so much that we go out and we extend His grace and love to other people in hopes that His name is lifted up and that He's glorified and that we honor Him in the way that we live, right? And so I encourage you guys to do that today. Recognize yourself in the story. Recognize the fact that we have a prodigal, a prodigal God who is lavish in his love that he has given out to us. It's something that we're never going to earn. In fact, the Bible says that our deeds are as filthy rags. As filthy rags to him. So, accept the free gift and appreciate it.